Welcome back to the High Impact Physician Podcast. Today we have Dr. Jeff Lehman coming on the show. And him and Sandy are digging into his first impressions of coaching and why he decided to hire a coach even without a specific goal in mind, something I think a lot of people find interesting. They're also talking about how to get that leadership monkey off your back and exactly what that means. And they're reframing what the true role of a physician leader is. They're talking about the value of rediscovering your values, naming them in clear terms, and then flipping that and finding concrete ways to align your work with those values. Jeff's also sharing his perspective on who he thinks should really consider hiring a coach and a few more things. So with that, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the High Impact Physician Podcast. Today we have Dr. Jeff Lehman coming on the show and him and Sandy are digging into his first impressions of coaching and why he decided to hire a coach even without a specific goal in mind, something I think a lot of people find interesting. They're also talking about how to get that leadership monkey off your back and exactly what that means. And they're reframing what the true role of a physician leader is. They're talking about the value of rediscovering your values, naming them in clear terms, and then flipping that and finding concrete ways to align your work with those values. Jeff's also sharing his perspective on who he thinks should really consider hiring a coach and a few more things. With that, let's get into the show. So I want to start this conversation a little differently. I typically jump in, ask people to introduce themselves, but since I know you, I want to actually introduce you through my lens, and then you can have a crack at introducing yourself. So when I first met you, I have to tell you, it was such a pleasure. Part of it was I could tell in our first conversation just just what a great guy you are, a father, a husband. I got to connect with your wife in a family coaching call, so that was fun, and really got a sense of you pretty early on about who you are as a clinician, a leader, and a team player. And what I can tell you is that I have met a lot of physicians and they all have a great experience. Well, I think they do. And I work with a variety of people. And what I notice is as the relationship evolves, people tell me how they generally feel. And at some point, they tell me that they had some skepticism of coaching. And you pretty much started the conversation there in a very gentle way. And so I'm going to be curious in a moment to have you speak a bit about that. Maybe not so much skepticism, but like just that sense of, I don't have a big goal, so I'm wondering how this fits. So I'm really excited to hear you speak into that a little bit. But I also know you as someone who just has a real eye for beauty and excellence, like so many other physicians, the science and data, but also this deep, deep conviction and this commitment to make the world a better place. And I think the reason I want to call that out is is we coach through a pandemic, a variety of other really challenging situations. And yet through all of that, it was really interesting for me to witness. And I was very inspired to watch how you grew and strengthened and really coming from those passions that you have to gain even more clarity about your gifts, your ways to serve others. I'll even go so out so far as to say, I knew you started with a passion for students and residents and faculty. I'm going to go on a limb now and say, it's so clear to me that I would highly recommend you in a role to coach providers and help other leaders develop across your system. It's just clearly a part of your gifts and who you are. So it was just an absolute delight to watch you take leaps, and I'm really excited to hear you share some of your insights today. So with that, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell just a bit about your story and how you got to where you are. 
Yeah, thank you. I grew up in the Midwest and a small town boy. I grew up in a town of 800 people and uh, went to a small high school and a small college and then to University of Illinois College of Medicine uh, in Peoria for medical school. And, and then my first big leap was to move out of the Midwest to go to Oklahoma for my residency. Followed that up by a year of fellowship there and then to Chicago for two years where I did some studies at uh, Trinity International University. And then the big leap, my family, my wife and I and our two small children moved to India where I worked for nine years, started a family medicine residency, the first in our state, uh, and ran that residency for six years before returning to the United States to help care for my wife's family. And I joined as a faculty member at the residency in Peoria, Illinois. I thought I signed a one-year contract while I looked for a, quote, real job. And in 2018, I became program director where I've served in that role since that time. So it's a little bit of my journey along the way. Yeah, there are so many things in there even we could unpack. I love the one-year contract that extended. I love the going to India. So many things there. But let's pick up from that place in terms of where you and I met. And I know a lot of providers and physicians hear about different resources. Some might click and make sense, and some might sound kind of off the beaten path or different. What was your first sense of coaching or what were your first thoughts about it when you entertained the idea of having a coach? Yeah, so two of my friends are actually coaches for business leaders, and multiple times they had told me that I should consider getting coaching. A friend of mine then, through the Physician Leadership Academy, through our healthcare organization, recommended it to me as well. And with each one of those recommendations, I kept thinking that I don't know what I need to grow in. And I kept thinking that coaching is just for those people who have perfectly identified an area that they need uh, to grow in and to pursue. And I don't know exactly what that is. So therefore, coaching is not yet for me. But the message kept coming. And that's when I reached out to you. And I think that you were just very good at, first of all, my the kind of pressure went away with our initial conversation, uh, just realizing that that you had a process of helping people really identify those key areas that were really important to them. But I think I've realized since then is that first, you don't have to come to coaching with an agenda. You don't have to. Uh, A good coach will help you identify your agenda. But then also just to realize that coaching is for anybody who really wants to work on increasing their capacity to support and lead others and will increase opportunities to really develop people around you. And so that's kind of where I started and where I landed with coaching. And it was just a, a tremendous experience for me. You are so articulate. I'm writing this down as you say that. <laughs> yeah, I love that notion as we increase the capacity in others, it's also an opportunity for us. And I also appreciate you saying that when we're in that growth state, sometimes having someone else help stretch us into a new discomfort or outside of our comfort zone can then guide us to stretch and grow in ways that are really meaningful. So take us through maybe one of your first insights that you discovered in a way that was personally meaningful to you. So I think one of the first things that was kind of a big aha moment for me through coaching was I've always felt myself as a leader, and I still think that there are aspects of this that are good, but my job as a leader was to protect the people that I was leading and to just shield them from any of the harsh realities of life and just to really provide a nurturing environment where people really love to come to work. And I still think that that's important. But what I realized very quickly into this process is that 
that doesn't really allow people to grow themselves as much as they should. It doesn't allow them to experience the type of, of healthy stress that can help them grow. And it doesn't help our organization grow. When I take on that role of being the sole problem solver and sole kind of a, a absorber of all difficulties, And so through that, I think just realizing that it is my role is to step off of the battlefield, really, and to kind of move up to a higher ground and to be able to oversee everything that's going on in our organization, but also to allow people to feel the realities of the environment that we're in, the changes that are coming at us, and then to use all of their creative resources and their resourcefulness to be a part of solving the problem. And it's increased our capacity as an organization, actually. I'm sitting up taller as I listen to you. I love that. So talk to me just a little bit more in your own experience. What was the hardest part of that shift for you? Well, you say it in past tense. I think it's it's an ongoing change that I keep reminding myself of. I wish okay. that it was a switch I could flip, but uh, it's something that I keep reminding myself of. But I think the hardest part is, you know, as a person who cares deeply about other people and their own personal thriving, I tend to default back into that mode of all these ugly realities are facing us as an organization and, you know, as an entity, as, a, as the residency. And my, my knee-jerk reaction is still to kind of shield our faculty and our residents from that instead of just letting that pass through and then managing the distress that comes from that and just allowing that to be a stimulus for growth. If you ask me for one last challenge at the end of this call, I'm going to ask you to write a white paper. This is really good. (laughs) What, as you think about that concept, that shifting mentality, what's been the best part of that for you and the people you lead? Yeah, certainly for me is that it really does take the monkey off of your back of, of feeling the weight of all the work. I still think the responsibility for the outcomes are there as a leader uh, and for where we're headed as an organization, but it definitely has allowed me uh, to kind of to see other people grow and to take on responsibility and have way better ideas and outcomes that I would have if it just stopped with me. But then also just, and so that's the benefit for people. I think the benefit for me is that it does offload from my plate a lot of tasks that I shouldn't be doing on my own uh, to start with. And so uh, it just comes from a more uh, of a place then of you know, just a confidence in, in leadership without the, you know, the franticness that I have to do everything that's coming my way. Yes. I feel like I'm listening to a live case study about what it can look like and sound like and feel like to build that psychological safety. So many people are talking about, I think Google did that big project, Project Aristotle, and recognize that psychological safety is the foundation. I love your way of framing it, that it's not always roses and easy, like what it looks like to do the hard work about how we come together, how to delegate, inspire, support each other, be accountable. So thanks for that. Kind of that nice reframe about what psychological safety can look like and feel like. Okay, let's shift into another one. Tell us another insight that you had during your coaching. So one of the early assessments that you helped walk me through was an assessment called Hogan, where one of the aspects of that assessment was just identifying our own values. And certainly I was aware of what those were, but it was really helpful to see those in writing and clarity. Uh, and and it was just kind of an aha moment of kind of those things that are kind of rolling around in the background unnamed, but just to name them and bring them to the fore was a really helpful experience for me. And then to realize how much energy energy and creativity can come into my work when I understand what those 
motivating values are and how I can connect them more to my everyday work. It's not that I ever ignored them in the past, but I think very clearly naming them and just having a list of them in front of me in my mind, the four of my mind as I led, I think was really good. And it just helped me realize too, like, oh, that's why this particular aspect of my work is more enjoyable or less. Okay, give us an example of that when you think, oh, that's why this part of my work's more valuable. Do you have an example of how that, like connect our values with your work and how that's showing up for you? Yeah, I do actually. So one of the leading values that came out for me on multiple different assessments and some that I had pursued on my own was this whole concept of altruism or benevolence. And so I kind of have always known that about myself, but then I realized nowhere on the list was recognition or power or commerce. <laughs> and so as I then I realize I'm sitting in, you know, meetings about budgets of certainly I understand how important that is and and you know, can work and navigate in that realm, but realizing boy this does not you know, light the fire of my motivation of why I come to work every day. Uh, I can deal in this realm, but then I understand, wow, this is why I loved being at that hospital in rural India. This is why I love being in a residency program and seeing people develop and and launch uh, out into the world. You know, our what of what we do at the residency is that we launch the careers of well-rounded physicians. And so I that really clicked with me then. Oh yeah, that's why I love these things so much because this is a major value for me as an as an individual and the more that i can tap into that in my everyday work and the more that i can align with what we're doing with those values it was amazing to me how that slight shift of just identifying that created a lot of joy and ener- energy and creativity in the work that we were doing what i'm thinking about how i got to watch you develop a pilot for a leadership program at your hospital and how effortless you made it seem from conception to putting it down to launching it. It just came together quite effortlessly. The impact seemed to be very genuine. And as I watched you beginning that process, I could easily imagine how you could scale that out on a relatively small budget and it be naturally energizing to you and really bring tremendous value to others across the system. So I was listening and witnessing that as I watched you do some of the other work you were just saying. And so a big shout out, yeah, for people to, we may have some sense of our values, but I would assert some of us still identify with values that maybe our culture, our family, our church gave us. So anyone who has an opportunity to pause and refresh, there's a variety of assessments out there. People aren't interested in the Hogan. The VIA is a free one that people can do online. It's science-based and validated. It can be a really great way to just refresh and reconnect with what brings purpose. So good. Yeah, and I certainly saw that with the small cohort that we're walking through the leadership development now. You know, I thought I was unique in that, how empowering that was. But for every single person in that cohort, there was just lots of light bulbs and aha moments that went on uh, through that process as well. And what was that process like for you to be creating, designing, and leading that? Yeah, it was incredibly motivating just to see people making those connections and just feeling a revived energy for, uh, for the work and a commitment to what we're doing. It was very empowering for me and just energizing for me as well. How about another tool or another insight that maybe surprised you or was non-traditional or not something you learned in medical school and has been useful for you? 
I am a, have a pretty strong inner voice uh, of uh, always reminding me of the foibles and personal insecurities that I have. Most people who know me find that surprising, but boy, that voice is pretty strong. And it was fun to go through, fun, I guess is word in quotes, a process to identify that voice and understand that that kind of inner critic is there. It's a natural thing that we all have. It's there to protect us. But it also can keep us from really exploring areas where we are stretched and can grow and and really limit uh, some of the things that I was willing to take on myself. And and just to now be able to hear that voice speaking and be able to understand, okay, I understand that. I understand what this is about. And I can set this aside for a little bit and continue to push on. And just that's, again, uh, that identification of that and uh, was really helpful. And then also just kind of identifying, I think the term you helped me discover through this was just the inner mentor of just understanding that kind of that true self of where I am and where I'm going to be and using that kind of persona and wisdom just to to really help be in the right state of mind as we as I deal with others and deal with problems at work and deal with unique situations and individuals and their problems. So those were two really insightful and helpful tools that I use weekly. Okay, let's back it up just a little bit to the inner critic. When you think back to like not being able to frame that or identify it, what was the worst part of having that inner critic in the driver's seat of your life? Well, that was truth. (laughs) I mean, no, I mean, it really was. I mean, someone asked me to do something or take on a new project or talk to me about a new uh, leadership opportunity in our organization. Immediately, what would come into my mind was, you can't do that. You don't have the background for that. You don't have the temperament for that. And so there have been opportunities that I have turned down, just realizing that that voice speaking to me was true. Uh, And now I can just identify that and saying, yeah, that there are some truths into what's being spoken spoken there by that critic, but that's not all the truth. And I can just kind of verbally set that aside more easily and identify that voice more easily and not be so hindered by it. That sounds a little squishy, but it's very real. And I think all of us, if we're honest, experience that. Absolutely. It's part of the human condition. I think you're absolutely right. Any of us that are courageous enough to turn on that flashlight, turn it inside rather than outside, will definitely hear that voice of not being good enough. I can't believe they invited me to do that project. All those voices. And as we grow, our inner critic grows with us. It's just like you said, it's there to protect us. And I love that strategy about pausing to notice like, so what evidence do I have that I will suck at leading a podcast? What evidence do I have that I can't do that project? And uh, often there's not a lot of evidence. And the evidence, if it's there, is worth being curious about and wondering how might that inform me, not necessarily there to shut us down and keep us playing small. Talk to us a little bit more about that inner mentor. Again, I know that can sound a bit esoteric. It can also be practical. What's the best part of that, of having access to your wisest self, best self inside? So there's that fear and that kind of critical voice is not there. But then I can just, it just helps me before, you know, I meet with our faculty, before I meet with our resident of just that, because that wisest self for me is that person, those values that were identified. And and just to be able to uh, look at other people and really care deeply for them, care that they're growing, to be able to be in that place instead of just that frantic, just dropping into a conversation 
or a planning session with people with that kind of crazy franticness of life kind of going on in the background. And so just taking a couple seconds to take a deep breath and just remember those values and kind of tap into that inner mentor really just helps me really to be my true self. That's not just so swayed by the stresses and busyness of the day that's been going on. I I think it's just puts me in a better place uh, for meetings and for leading people. Just so you know, if your inner critic is creeping up at all in this conversation, I am sitting back. So kick back, relax, smiling, nodding, because this is sounding so genuine and authentic. And it's not the kind of thing most of us have a framework or language to talk about. So I'm feeling so grateful for your transparency and openness about these new kinds of words and just these new ways about talking about this human experience, this leadership experience. Like I said before, if we're honest, I think all of us hear those voices and I think just identifying them allows us to engage with people in a way that is more supportive and more empowering to them. Imagine what the world could be like if rather than my inner critic talking to your inner critic, we could soften those and then we could just be more present from that place of service like you talk about. I love it. What else would you like to offer in terms of any other perspectives that you've gathered? Halfway through this coaching process, when I thought about developing uh, leaders and having as a project to kind of come up with a curriculum to develop leaders, in my mind, it was how to do this, how to run a meeting, how to do your to-do list, how to stay on top of your email. And then I quickly realized, because these other realms uh, you know, that we've been talking about, your values, inner critic, inner mentor, always to me seemed like things that were very soft. And how could these things that were very soft have a real outcome and a real transformative outcome? And I have realized that that is absolutely false, that we can, as leaders, hold people to really high standards, but we can do that in a way that is uh, supportive. I keep overusing that word, but empowering and and just a culture where people don't feel shamed or they're not bullied or they're not belittled, they're not forced into the work. And if you can do that, hold people to those high standards and do so in a really supportive environment, then I think that that's where we see really miracles happen. And people show up not just with the kind of time to make the donuts, cranking out mentality, you know, of running on a hamster wheel, but showing up at, at work with just all all of it ready to go with fresh ideas, with a commitment and an energy and a loyalty to the organization that you cannot put a price on, that you cannot measure, but it is so important to the health of of an organization or an entity. Well, I can't wait for you to listen to this recording. That was just so inspiring to really look at this combination of who we're being and what we're doing to really open up the door and, and and walk with people side by side into this next chapter of who we are as individuals, as teams and organizations. And I love the way you just shaped the future of healthcare about how we really can have high standards in environments where people feel supportive and empowered. And I love, love, love your way of saying this is how miracles happen. So spot on. It's funny because I'm a big evidence-based medicine statistics kind of person. And so my initial foray into these kind of, quote, soft uh, end quote areas were, were a little bit uncomfortable for me. And I'm sure that they may be for other physicians as well. But we just take a step back and realize what the difference is between a physician who's caring for patients or who's working for an organization who's really motivated and all in versus someone who's just showing up. I mean, the outcomes are real and they're significant and they're needed. 
Well, and what I'm feeling right here now today as I listen to you is there's this invitation about how we as people grow up biologically. And I think it's Ken Wilber who talks about through being present with one another and learning and developing, we can show up more fully. But it's in conversations like this, I feel like you're inviting us to wake up and to even step into that next iteration to continue to integrate what's working and transcend into that next level of how we can serve with science, data, evidence, research and love. So thank you so much for this conversation. Let me open it up for maybe any closing comments you'd like to offer. Don't want to sound too much like an advertisement, but if you, if there are physicians or other healthcare providers out there who listen to this podcast and who've toyed with the idea of engaging with a coach, I would just really encourage people to take uh, that next step and to just inquire and to make some phone calls or send a couple emails and to start looking around and asking for recommendations. Because I think for most of us, somewhere along our journey, it is a needed stimulus and a thing that can really uh, help us take a jump to the next level. So I just would really encourage people not to hesitate. I think that there's certainly the right time in our career. I think probably if I would have done this three or four years before, it may not have been uh, as transformative as it was for me now, but this just came along at the right time. And uh, so if people are wondering about that, that may be that's the right time for them. Jeff, I'm really appreciating your comments and wondering if folks wanted to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to hear from people by email. My email address is a long one. It's Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y dot L-E-M-A-N at unitypoint.org. Uh, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me, or people can find that same email address through the website of our residency, the Family Medicine Residency at University of Illinois College of Medicine at Peoria. Such a blessing. I'm feeling so grateful for this time together to hear your story and to hear you share even more deeply your insights about what's supporting you and shaping you as you continue to serve in such big ways. It's just been a real pleasure, and I want to thank you for your time today. Well, thank you, Sandy. It's, it's always great to talk to you. 